Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the second chapter of Daniel, uh, but before we do that, I'm going to pray and then we'll dive into that passage. So, Lord, we uh, humble ourselves before you again this morning. We just sang these words, change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change our hearts, O God, make them more like you. And God, we do ask that you would do that, that our hearts would be changed for having gathered together this morning as your people, for having opened up our hearts in worship, and for now opening up your word, uh, for you to be able to speak to us and show us what you have revealed about yourself. And so, God, I pray that in all that we do today, you would be at work changing our hearts. And I pray that uh, as we look at the second chapter of Daniel today, that your spirit would be free to do the work in each of our hearts that he wants to do. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start by asking you a question this morning. Have you ever had a recurring dream or maybe a dream that troubled you in some way? I ask that because Daniel chapter 2 opens up with these words. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is the uh, king of Babylon uh, and he's having dreams that are keeping him awake at night. So I'm wondering, have you ever had a dream that's kept you awake at night? I haven't. I sleep through most of my dreams. I don't remember most of my dreams, to be quite uh, honest about that. But a couple of weeks after Christy and I got married, Christy had a dream uh, in, which, uh, in which I was terribly sick and couldn't figure out what was going on. But in this dream, out of great concern for me and deep compassion for me, she decided to shoot me and kill me. <laughs> Don't know exactly what to make of that. But Christie's had a dream that's troubled me. And so I'd like to know what that means. And I tease her every once in a while now that I have to sleep with one eye open, uh, just, you know, just in case there's any sudden suspicious movements during the night or something. But anyway, so last week we learned that the Israelites are in exile in Babylon. Hundreds of years earlier, God had established a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai after he had led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And in this covenant, God had promised to bless his people if they were faithful to the covenant. And he warned them that there would be punishment if they were unfaithful. And Israel responded through centuries with a long string of disobedience after disobedience after unfaithfulness. And after numerous warnings that God gave to his people, after numerous warnings, we read in Daniel 1 that the Lord delivered his people into captivity in Babylon. We also learned last week that as part of Israel's captivity, Daniel and his three friends were undergoing this three-year process of re-education, being enculturated with the thinking and, and culture and lifestyle of Babylon. 
And chapter 1 told us that because of his courage and his integrity, Daniel and his friends found favor not only with the guards and with King Nebuchadnezzar, but they also found favor with God. And verse 17 says that as God blessed them because of their courage and integrity, that God enabled Daniel to understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And now chapter 2 opens and the king of Babylon is plagued by dreams. And here we see just a small testimony to God's faithfulness in that he has already prepared and equipped Daniel for what is about to unfold. Now, in the ancient world, you need to know that dreams were considered significant. They were serious business because they were often viewed as predictions or at least possible predictions of future events. And so if a king had a dream, that dream might be about the future of his kingdom. And so he took that very seriously. And if he could determine the meaning of the dream and quickly take action on it, uh, he might be able to get prepared for whatever was coming on the horizon. And that's the situation that Nebuchadnezzar finds himself in this morning. He has a dream and he doesn't know what it means. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2 and I'm going to begin by reading the first 13 verses for you and uh, they're going to set a context for us, but I'll read these verses and make a few comments along the way. So uh, verse 1 says this, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Quick pause here. Nebuchadnezzar is having dreams. Most likely, this is one dream which keeps recurring. And I say this because verse 1 tells us that he was having dreams, plural. But in verse 3, he describes to his men just one dream. So I believe the king is being troubled by a dream that keeps recurring. And in an effort to decipher the meaning of this dream, he summons the wise men and, and advisors in his kingdom. And they arrive, and they are prepared and eager to help. But then the king does something that is completely unexpected and maybe even unprecedented. Look at verse 5. It says, The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. He's a hard guy to get along with, isn't he? But, he says, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. And once more they replied to him and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. And then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. 
You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Now, something has happened. Something has happened that uh, has caused the king to lose trust in, in his advisors. And we're never told what that was. But you can see from the text, it has put the king on edge. And now he's putting his advisors to the test. And this test is pass or fail. There's no grading on the curve on this one. To pass is to receive great wealth and honor. And to fail is to face death. And the astrologers, the advisors, they know this is impossible and they can't do it. What the king has asked is too difficult and you can sense that they begin to panic. And when you hear their reply, I'm gonna read it for you in just a minute. When you hear their reply, you will feel, I think, the fear and that panic and hopelessness, and, you'll, and it will come out as anger with sarcasm. That's how it's going to come out in their words. Listen to, listen to what they say. Verse 10, the astrologers answered, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. Wow, right? And then the text goes on. This made the king so angry, you can imagine so, made him so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And, the men, and, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. In their words, can you, can you hear it? Their, their words are dripping with disrespect and insolence and maybe even insubordination at some level. And it pushed Nebuchadnezzar over the edge. He became so angry that he ordered all the wise men to be executed. Find them and kill them all, he says. I've had it. We'll start with a whole new batch if we have to. And with those words, every wise man became a wanted man, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, when they woke up that morning, got out of bed, they had no idea what was about to unfold. Without any warning, their world is turned upside down. And by upside down, I mean men are coming to kill them. These opening 13 verses remind us that just like Daniel, we live in a world where pain and sorrow happen, where tragedy and trauma happen, where disappointment and hardship happen. We're reminded that our world is broken. So was Daniel's. And Christians are not exempt from hardship. If anyone was secretly hoping that putting your faith in Jesus would remove life's difficulties and kind of whisk you into a life of comfort and ease, I'm afraid you're going to be terribly disappointed. Jesus reminded his followers that in this world you will have trouble. Life will be messy. And so as believers today, 
We need to plan on it. We need to prepare ourselves for it. We must anchor ourselves to Jesus so that when the storms come, and they will come, we'll be held securely in him. And some of you that are here this morning, you know what it's like to be in a situation like Daniel's. You know what it's like to wake up and have your reality upended, turned on its ear. You know what it's like to have your day start out normal and then suddenly everything changes. Maybe it's because your boss has given you an unreasonable project with an impossible deadline. Or maybe your biggest client suddenly wants you to bend the rules a little bit or the deal's off. Or maybe your doctor calls with test results and he, choose, and he says those dreaded words, I'm afraid I have some bad news. Maybe your classmates or coworkers are treating you terribly just because of your faith in Christ. Or maybe your secret, which you told only to your best friend, is now being spread to everybody in the school hallways. Or maybe your spouse comes home one day and says, I don't want to be married anymore. I'm leaving. My brother experienced this upside-down turn in his world back in January, when after 17 years, he showed up to work and learned that he was being let go for reasons completely out of his control. Showed up at work, and they walked him back out the door. Another very close friend of mine felt it in March when he was let go from his job after nearly 15 years because of the economic downturn related to COVID. My wife and I felt this when the Lord unexpectedly led me to step down from my position as a pastor in Wisconsin after 17 years. Didn't see that coming. And suddenly and without warning, everything changes and you're left feeling like someone just kicked you in the gut. So what do we do when the going gets tough? What do we do when circumstances change? When we're facing circumstances that we weren't ready for and it's coming from a person or place we weren't expecting and we're looking for answers that we don't have in a world that suddenly doesn't make any sense anymore. What do we do? Well, that's where Daniel found himself this morning, upside down. And so this morning, I want to spend a few minutes looking at the next several verses to see how Daniel responded with his friends and see what we can learn from his example. And so for the sake of time, I'm going to jump right in to kind of the first thing that we learn. When his world got upended, the first choice Daniel made was to surround himself with godly people. He surrounded himself with godly people. Look at verses 14 to 17. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Remember, Arioch was coming to kill him, so he used a lot of tact there. He asked the king's official, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him, and then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel went to the only three godly men 
that he knew, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sought the safety of godly fellowship. And why is this important? Because Daniel knew that outside of community, outside of that band of Christian brothers and sisters, he would be tempted to handle the situation in his own strength, in his own wisdom, trying to get clever and figure it out on his own. He would rely on himself and on his wisdom rather than on God. But inside community, inside this band of brothers, Daniel knew that he and his three friends would admit to each other that the situation was beyond their limited abilities. They would acknowledge that. And they would remind each other of of how God has been faithful to them in the past and helped them through other difficult situations. And they would encourage each other to look intently to God for help. Daniel needed these friends around him so that he wouldn't have to face this alone. And you know, Daniel's not alone in the pages of Scripture when it comes to seeking godly friends in times of need. When Jesus came to the night of his betrayal and crucifixion, he said his soul was anguished to the point of death. And then what did he do? He asked Peter, James, and John to join him. And he said, just come and be with me. When Paul was in prison at the end of his life, he said he felt like a drink, he was he felt like he was a drink offering being poured out. And he knew that the end was near for him. And so what did he do? 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11 writes, he writes to Timothy and he says, Luke is with me. Please come and bring Mark with you. See, Paul gathers a few brothers around himself. Come and be with me, he says. And friends, this is just one of the many blessings of being in a small group or Sunday school class or a Bible study. And it's why I and other church leaders will always encourage you to, be, uh, to, to make it a priority to be in a setting like that. When facing challenges, the men and women in your group can pray with you, they can encourage you, they can help you keep your focus on the Lord when we might be tempted to kind of get lost in the chaos of what's happening around us. And they'll help us so that we don't cave in to our instincts. When the Lord asked me to step out in faith and we moved out of Wisconsin and began job searching, I assembled a group of people that would pray for us on this journey. And then I assembled a smaller group of people that I could connect with more closely and more frequently. And those folks have breathed life and joy and hope and encouragement to me. And they have encouraged us repeatedly to keep our eyes on the Lord, reminding us of God's faithfulness through the, through the years. Daniel did it. Jesus did it. Paul did it. And we should too, friends. If you're not connected in some way to a group or a class, I would urge you to put this at the top of your priority list. Because when the going gets tough, we need to surround ourselves with godly people. That'll be a tremendous help to us. The second thing that we learn from Daniel is that we need to pray and then wait for God's answer. Pray and wait for God's answer. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, he explained the matter to friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. When Daniel and his friends got together in this urgent hour, they prayed and they waited for God's answer. Daniel's words, they pleaded for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. These four young men stormed the gates of heaven, asking God to reveal the dream to them so that their lives could be spared. But note what Daniel and his friends did not do when they got together. They did not sit in a circle and fret and worry and complain about what they were going to do. They didn't hold any pity parties saying, oh, poor us, why is this happening to us? They didn't try to find an escape route out of Babylon. They didn't grumble about the king's decree or gripe about how ungodly he was. And they didn't complain about how useless and pathetic the other wise men were. Why can't they get their act together? They didn't do, these guys didn't do any of that. They immediately went to prayer. And notice, prayer was Daniel's first resort, not his last resort. How many of us, myself included, turn to prayer too many times only as a last resort? And too often we try everything we can possibly think of, and only when all those other options fail do we think, well, I'll just pray pray about this. And I think that must grieve the heart of our God because he's strong and compassionate and he loves to help his people. And he stands ready to help those who will humble themselves and pray. But Daniel didn't do this. Daniel went to prayer as a first resort. He recognized right away the futility of trying to accomplish this apart from God's help. And so these four young men gathered together and did what Philippians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 6 encourages us to do, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And that's what they did. And I think that's a great reminder that we all need because chaos and confusion and difficulty and challenge can sometimes get our mind uh, unfocused and off of the Lord, and we need to get it focused again on the Lord. So we need to pray and wait for God's answer. Daniel's third action step, or the third choice he made, is found in verses 19 to 23. Listen to these words. It says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And in these verses, Daniel reminds us to thank God for the help that he provides. Thank God for the help that he provides. When Daniel received an answer to his prayer, he remembers to stop and say thank you. And this is such an important step and a a simple step, almost to the point where we can pass over it and not recognize it. But how many of us too often forget to pause and thank God for the help that he provides. Remember in 
uh, in the New Testament, in the story of the ten lepers, and Jesus heals the ten lepers, but only one returned to say thank you. And Jesus said to them, well, where are the other nine? And too often, I can be like the other nine who rush off, uh, never slowing down or looking back. I'm grateful that the Lord has answered my prayer, but I don't ever stop and say it to him. And I, for, and I forget to pause and say thanks. But Daniel didn't rush off. Daniel remembered, like the 10th leper, sorry, like the 10th leper, he paused and thanked God for answering his prayer. And by his, by his example, we're reminded to do the same thing. So that's a simple one, uh, but it's, I think it's an important step for us. Now look at verse 24. It says, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Daniel's fourth lesson for us is boldly use what God provides. Boldly use what God provides. In Daniel's situation, he needed to know both the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the meaning of that dream. And when God provided that for him during the night in a vision, he boldly went to the king's official the next morning and asked to be taken to the king. And we need to use the answers that God gives to us. Now, friends, I don't know what your situation is or what you might be praying for God to give you guidance on, but I know that God will provide his answer at just the right time. Christy and I have experienced this a number of times in a variety of different settings as we have uh, walked this journey uh, in faith with him. He will provide his answer at just the right time and will recognize God's answer because it will always be in alignment with biblical teaching and it will always be consistent with the character of God as he is revealed in scripture. Anything that doesn't square with scriptural teaching, or it is not consistent with the character of God, that is not wisdom from God. That is not his guidance. Don't follow it. Now, our situation might involve a job, health, or financial situation, or maybe a parenting or marriage challenge, or it might just be a long, dark night of the soul. Whatever our situation is, friends, God can be trusted. He can be. He can be trusted to provide what we need if we will look to him. And Daniel is our example in this. Now, our circumstances may not be the same as Daniel. We probably don't have people coming to take our lives. But our response should be the same. We turn to God in prayer and we wait for his answer. And when he supplies an answer, we thank him for it and then we use it boldly. Let's grab one more lesson, and then we're going to finish this uh, message this morning. Final lesson is this. Daniel gives God the glory. Daniel gives God the glory. Look at verses 25 to 28. It says, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man from among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And we'll look at that next section next week.
But Daniel is brought before the king, and the king says, you got to be able to tell me my dream and interpret it. Can you do that? Now, Daniel could have responded and said something to the effect of, yes, sir, I am able to do that. But Daniel just refused in even small ways to be self-promotional. You notice Arioch, the king's official, he didn't mind being self-promotional. See that? He kind of grabbed his opportunity. He tells the king, I found a man who can interpret the dream. Aren't I something? Glad you have me on your staff. Right? He didn't find Daniel. Daniel came to him. Daniel found uh, Arioch in the morning and brought a solution. But that was Arioch. Daniel just refused to try to take the credit or the glory for what belonged to God. He reminded the king that the king's request really was beyond the ability of any mortal man. No man can do what you're asking, O king. And even as Daniel's saying those words, you can almost imagine the king's blood pressure starting to rise again. Like this is going to be the same, you know, second verse, same song. And then Daniel says these words, but there is a God. (laughs) What an incredible five words. I encourage you to mark those in your Bible and hold on to those. But there is a God. And he says to the king, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and your dream is from him, O king. And he, and he has chosen, see that? He has chosen to reveal this mystery to you so that you may know what's going to happen in the days to come. Friends, mark my words on this. The desire for men's applause And the temptation to self-promote will always sabotage our efforts to give God the glory. Always. I'm going to say that again because this is, we've got to hang on to this. The desire for men's applause and the temptation to self-promote will always try to sabotage our efforts to live for God's glory. Always. So we must drive this conviction firmly into the bedrock of our souls. The glory belongs to the Lord. The glory belongs to the Lord. And you see that Daniel stayed backstage so that his God could have center stage. Well, we're out of time this morning, so let me close with this uh, kind of final thought. We should anticipate and plan for hardship and adversity in this life. It's just part of living in a fallen world. And Jesus told us to expect it. But but how we respond to those circumstances when they arrive, that's what will set us apart as Christians, if we do it well. So when the going gets tough, Daniel reminds us, let's surround ourselves with godly people who can help us stay focused. Let's pray and then wait for God to answer. And when that answer comes, let's thank him for it, and then let's boldly use it. And finally, let's stand back and make sure that God always gets the glory for the work that he does in our lives. Agreed? All right, let's pray, and then we'll uh, go to the next part of our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that uh, by your Holy Spirit, you inspired this Uh, to be recorded, this, this scene from Daniel's life to be recorded for our benefit. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us through these scriptures this morning, because hardship is a part of life, and I'm guessing there are people in our midst uh, 
who are experiencing hardship right now and they need guidance from you. But you have not left us on your own. Through Daniel, you have given us guidance about what to do when things get hard. And I pray that we would surround ourselves with godly people, pray, give thanks to you, boldly use it, and then stand back and give, us, give you the glory. And I pray that you would help us to do these things so that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we close uh, this service, uh, we have a special opportunity this morning, and I'd like to ask Pastor Joe and Barb if they would come and join me at the front, please. Uh, the lyrics to that song, uh, to the chorus of that, says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. And we just felt like those words were so fitting for you. Yeah. So as we begin now to take our first steps into a new chapter of ministry here at CCC, we want to take a few minutes. We want to honor and thank Pastor Joe and Barb for the outstanding ministry that we have been blessed with. We're so grateful over the last 15 months. You know, the heart of a church, the real heart of a church, can be seen in her servants, those faithful men and women who serve joyfully, tirelessly, sacrificially, day after day, week after week. God's redemptive plan for our community here in Princeton and even for the world around us is accomplished in part as the Holy Spirit works through each person who rolls up their sleeves and gives of their time and energy to serve other people. And today we have the opportunity to say thank you for the significant investment that these two have made in our lives and in this ministry. The role of the interim pastor is a challenge. And Pastor Joe and Barb have spent the last 15 months opening their hearts to us and giving of themselves to us. And through them, the Holy Spirit has brought compassion and healing and challenge. And now we're seeing growth And when COVID came, that was unexpected, right? Nobody saw that around the corner. But God used their spirit-anointed wisdom and their calm demeanor to help provide encouragement and wisdom to carry us through those dark waters as well. I experienced this myself when I stepped into the search process uh, for uh, the, the position here. When COVID shut down brought things to a screeching halt. And Pastor Joe would call me periodically and just check in to see, how are, how are you and Christy doing? Things going okay? Are you getting discouraged? And he would encourage me and he offered me wisdom and perspective. And he asked questions. And he genuinely cared about how Christy and I were doing and how things were going on our end of things. And I have heard from many of you that Barb, you and your husband 
have been faithful that way to family after family after family in this church. And so I've written a few words that I'd like to share with the two of you personally. Pastor Joe and Barb, you two have faithfully served in ministry for over 50 years. You have served the Lord, you have served each other, and you have served the body of Christ. And with thankful and humble hearts, we rejoice that the Lord allowed the two of you to share your life with us for a time. What a blessing it has been. Our church family is better and stronger because the two of you are here. So on behalf of Christ Community Church, I'd like to say thank you to the both of you from the bottom of our hearts. I want to thank you for investing and sharing your lives with us. I want to thank you for every word of encouragement that was shared privately and every sermon that was preached publicly. For every home, hospital, Bible study, and small group that you guys chose to visit and be a part of. I want to thank you both for sharing your hearts, your love, your patience, your wisdom, and your genuine concern for every single family in this church. Every conversation you engaged in, every prayer you prayed, every laugh you shared, and every tear you shed has helped us as a church to experience the love of Jesus more fully and to grow in his love. Only, only in heaven, Pastor Joe, only in heaven, Barb, will we really discover the full impact that your two lives have had on countless men and women, including ours, only in heaven. And so it is with tremendous respect and thanks that I want you to know how much we love you and we appreciate you and we thank you and we will not forget you. So let's say thank you to them. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor David. Now I'm going to ask uh, uh, Pastor Joe and Barb to uh, come back down the steps, if you would. And I'd, I'd just like to share a, a passage, uh, a familiar passage in God's Word. Uh, Jesus was kind of teaching his disciples and his followers about what the kingdom of heaven was going to look like. And there's a passage in, uh, uh, hang on a second, I've got to open this up. Uh, in Matthew 25, and Jesus said, the, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, his property being the church. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And then I'm going to jump down to verse uh, 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, 
good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I think that defines you as a couple, you as individuals. And on behalf of CCC, uh, you have indeed been faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I will tell you, that would us saying that to you pales in comparison to when you hear your Savior say it. So, uh, on behalf of <clears throat> on behalf of the entire family here at CCC, this is simply a gift of our a tangible gift of our appreciation to you for your service here. God bless you. David, as you were sharing, uh, when things get tough, the tough get going in a way, right? But God, remember that thought? Normally we would get going when the road is tough, but we were reminded this morning, but there is a God, and we need to trust him. Barb and I want to share just a couple thoughts with you before we head for home today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It's one of my favorite books in Scripture is the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul shares, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then Paul said, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then Paul said, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Barb would like to share a, a few words based on that thought, and I would too, in just a moment. Do I have to use that? Hi, I've not been up here before, <laughs> and uh, I don't have any makeup left. <laughs> that way. Anyway, you know the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 said, there's a time for everything under heaven, and that's so true. There was a time to come, and there's a time to leave. You're reversing it. But there's a time for everything, and uh, it's never easy. It really isn't easy. It never is for me. Joe has attested to the fact that I, this is the hardest part for me because I am a people person. <laughs> I get pretty attached to people. But thank you for this opportunity uh, to share a little bit of my heart. 
we received a pillow this week as a gift, a surprise gift. And uh, it was so neat because it had two words on it, uh, grateful and blessed. And I thought, wow. And she said, this fits. And it does fit. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for each one of you. I'm grateful for the part you've had in my life, in our lives. I'm grateful for the way you've shared in so many ways with us. Uh, it's not easy being a pastor's wife in a new place. It's not easy. But uh, you have made it easier by your love. And number two, the word blessed. I, I think Joe would agree that we feel blessed. I mean that we feel blessed. You are special people. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. You are special. You are the cream of the crop, as far as I'm concerned, that's left here. And uh, I have been blessed by you. Uh, I can't read now. Just, um, I just want to say I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. Got to know you a little bit in 15 months. Some of you, I haven't had that opportunity, but I've gotten to know some of you, and uh, I feel blessed. Um, we wish and pray God's best on you as a family. You are blessed by being here, believe me. Take my word for it. You are blessed. And we pray God's richest blessing on you from here forward. Okay? And I believe God is going to do something special here. Don't we, honey? I believe so. So thank you. Thank you. It's hard being a pastor's wife, especially if you're married to this guy. Can you, you can say amen to that if you want. The passage that we read here just a moment ago in Philippians chapter 1, Paul said, uh, I have you in my mind. Let me just share a, a couple thoughts from an interim's viewpoint based on that passage. He said, I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, I have you in my prayers. Um, when an interim comes to a setting, and I, I'll use myself as an example. By the way, my coach is here, so I have to behave tonight or this morning. Uh, Frank and Judy Beatty have been a real encouragement to Barb and I over this past year. And uh, we were able to talk about things and share things and pray together and been a blessing. And so for them to show up today was a surprise to us. But thank you for coming. It's an encouragement. I mean that. Thank you for your ministry in our lives. The Apostle Paul, uh, talking about having you in, in my mind, uh, I, I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but as an interim, when you come into a setting, your mind is engaged, okay? You're uh, coming from the outside, and uh, certainly you have that church and those people in and on your mind, and if you're not careful, you come in with an agenda. I try not to do that, but you kind of come in thinking, you know, this is the template. This is what we're expected to do. This is what IPM says works best and so forth. Uh, you have 
a church and a church family on your mind. But it doesn't take long, and I really mean this, it doesn't take long that it moves from the mind as you get to know folks and see the setting. It moves to the heart. And I think that's what Paul was saying. Have you on my mind, but he says, I, I have you on my heart. And it didn't take long for you to grab our hearts, okay? Uh, and I really mean that. Uh, hopefully we've been able to share a little of that with you, but it isn't long as an interim that it goes from the mind to the heart and you, you're involved, as, as Paul said, in partnership together. Uh, you're a part of things. As you come in as an interim, you don't have a dog in the fight. You know, it's, it's one of the few problems that I didn't create in life when I come here, okay? But it isn't long that you see I'm a part of that problem maybe or the struggle as well. But we're in partnership together, and, and it grabs your heart. That's what Paul was saying. Have you in my mind, and then I have you in my heart. But even in that case, it doesn't take long to realize that the mind and the heart isn't really enough, and it's not the answer. What's next? We're reminded of that today. Paul says, I have you in my prayers. It doesn't take long to realize that it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not even about us. It's really about him. And, and if you're going to have the man of God's choice, you're going to have to include God in the process. That's what we've tried to do the best we knew how. It's what your search team attempted to do. And uh, Dave and Christy, uh, uh, I believe you're an answer to the prayers of God's people here at CCC. So uh, you've got big shoes to fill, not ours, but his. That's our challenge to you. You know, you're in our prayers. You're on our hearts. You've been in our mind for 15 months because uh, an interim pastor, in order to be, I guess, a success as an interim, you have to work yourself out of a job. And that's what we've done, best we knew how and know how. But I can say as we go out the door, and Lord willing, if all goes well today, we'll be heading home later this afternoon. I miss our kids, and I miss our grandkids. But we're going to miss you. Uh, the only way we know how to serve God, I guess, is by serving others. I, I don't know how else you do it. I don't know how else you do it. And we've tried. Best we know how. What a blessing it's been. If God opens another door, I, know, I don't know if he will or he won't. But if this is the last of six interims that we've had, what a blessing this has been for us. And we're so grateful. So as, as we head home today, yes, you're on our minds. And you're in our hearts. And you always will be. But uh, more importantly, God has established his throne in heaven. And in his sovereignty, he rules over all, which is CCC. That's you and me. So more than anything, it's important that he be 
and our prayers, you be in our prayers, and that you be praying for each other. We believe God wants to do something special here. And if he does it here, the church isn't this facility or the chairs you're sitting in, it's you. We believe you're ready. And as you bond with your new pastor and his family, and as you grow together, we just believe with all our hearts that God's going to be honored and glorified and that you're going to be blessed. Uh, thank you, David, for the kind and caring words. Thank you, Ken, for the partnership with you and the elders and leadership. Thank you, church family, for blessing us and being an encouragement. And yes, putting up with us. That means a lot more than you'll ever know. So thank you, folks. We love you. And uh, we ask God's richest blessing upon you. Father, we come to you. There's no one else that we could come to at a time like this than you. You've reminded us through the Apostle Paul that the work you begin, you're going to finish. Lord, uh, thank you for the privilege we've had over these past 15 months to attempt to serve you best we knew how by way of serving this church family. And as you know better than anyone, Lord, they've been so good to us. And they've wanted and asked for your best and your blessing. And we're excited to be able to head home knowing that you've answered prayer in such a mighty way. And we have to tell you we're grateful. We're so grateful. Great is your faithfulness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Barb, I'm going to no, Joe, stay put. Just stay right there. Um, Barb, you have to uh, come up here. and uh, Please stand with me. We're just going to ask God's richest blessing on this couple. And then I'm going to ask them to head downstairs and uh, 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 position themselves to be uh, greeted and appreciated by each of you, I'm sure, are going to want to that opportunity. So let's just pray with me as we honor this couple. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, or I should say today, Lord, uh, with grateful hearts. Lord, we have been blessed beyond uh, our wildest imagination to bring uh, Pastor Joe and Barb into our midst. Lord, you have used them mightily. You have blessed us. You have, uh, you have encouraged our hearts through them. And Lord, I am confident that as long as you give them breath, they will be used by you. So Lord, I pray as they, as they head back home and as they can, can reconnect on, on a different level with their family and that I know that you will use them. I know that they have, that they're so committed, so caring, and so loving, Lord, that you will use them, Lord. There's no, retirement is a cultural thing, not a biblical thing, Lord. So continue to use them, Lord. You've used them here. May they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are loved by CCC when they leave. Lord, may they know that they have been used mildly, and may they know that you indeed are 
a God that's worthy of everything we have, and that you're worthy of of our devotion, of our 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 of our just a compassionate, or I should say, a passionate faith. Or give us that passionate faith. Pastor Joe's challenges. He, he believes, God, you want to use us. Well, then use us, God. Then help us not to get in the way of that. And help us to, to understand, as, as uh, Pastor David has, has challenged us this morning, Lord, if you do use us, and we pray that you will, may you get all the credit. Help us to get out of the way and give, let you get all the credit. And I think only then will you use us to the extent that you desire to use us. But again, this is about Pastor Joe and Barb. Lord, we love them, and we want to send them off with, with just our best. So, Lord, thank you again for this time. May you bless our time together as we say goodbye. And, you know, we ask this in your precious name. Amen.